Will you pray with me, please? Gracious and holy God, we enter into your presence with great expectations. May the meditations of our hearts and minds and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. Amen. It was June of 2018, and I stood at the furthest point of this Grand Canyon Skywalk. Now, this is a bridge that cantilevers out the side of the Grand Canyon, and it has um, a glass floor. And it's suspended about 4,700 feet above the floor of the canyon. From this vantage point, as I look out over the canyon's rim, I could behold all the layers of rock and sediment and, and cliffs that and it revealed this work that this single river had done to create this amazing canyon. As I looked way down deep into the bottom of that canyon, I could see that tiny river, but from that vantage point, as if I were a bird soaring above it, that river looked so tiny, and I began to wonder, oh my gosh, how does something so small craft and shape and form something so magnificent. But water is like that. Water which is a life-giving substance, a, a substance that we baptize even the tiniest people among us in, is also something that shapes and forms some of nature's hardest and toughest substances. It's the same way that Mother Nature forms and shapes this earth in spectacular ways that take our breath away, that God shapes us through God's reign and God's people. It's the way God shapes us by sending us people to walk beside us in our journey. As I think about the people who had to shape me in my faith journey, I know that some had an easier job than others. I suspect some of them, it was not always so easy to shape my willful, willful way, like my parents and my teachers. And then I recall others who have stood on the shoulder of those parents and teachers and continued to form me and to shape me, like my my pastors or my um, faith conversation partners, my covenant sisters. So as you think about those people who have shaped you and formed you in your faith, who were they? Were they your family? Was it a friend or a mentor or maybe even a stranger? Was it a preacher or someone who... Um, produces a podcast that you live and listen to regularly? Is it all of the above? Is it none of the above? Is it some of the above? Our text today is all about this reign of God and how that shapes us to become faithful disciples. And it shapes us within this thing we call church, this community. But I have to warn you that when you read this passage at first glance... It seems a little heavy-handed. Our author uh, seems to mandate, as if 
we should add more work to our already busy schedules. And it's a message that when I first read it, my temptation is to simply dismiss it as something that's too preachy and too demanding of me. But if I dig a little bit deeper, I can find within this passage the good news. And so let's read what the epistle writer is saying in the second letter to the Thessalonians. I'm going to start with the third chapter and pick up with verse 6. Listen now for what God is saying to us. Now we command you, beloved, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to keep away from believers who are living in idleness and not according to the tradition that they received from us. For you yourselves know that you ought to imitate us. We are not idle when we were with you, and we did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we work day and night, so that we might not burden any of you. This was not because we did not have that right, but in order to give you an example to imitate. And even when we were with you, we gave you this command. Anyone unwilling to work should not eat. For we hear that some of you are living in idleness, mere busybodies, not doing any work. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Brothers and sisters, do not be weary in doing what is right. May God add blessing to the hearing and the reading of this holy scripture. Our New Revised Standard Version does not help us in understanding what exactly the writer is getting to when they use the word idle and idleness in these opening verses and halfway down. See, our Greek scholars tell us that a better translation is really disorderliness, and a person that is disordered or Un, um, not, not disciplined is not necessarily someone who's lazy or idle. They may be simply distracted and chasing after things that are of less importance than other things, getting their priorities out of whack. Maybe they're focused on the wrong things and they actively pursue something else so that they don't have to be paying attention to the important tasks at hand. The problem with these kinds of behaviors is that they serve to distract not only the individual, but also those around them in the community, which is formed in order that we might represent God in the world. So it is better for us to follow the one who walks the walk rather than the one who talks the talk. So that's one of our lessons, and that makes good sense, right? It's what we teach our children. It's better to uh, do as people do rather than to chase after those who have a big talk. But then if we dig a little bit deeper, I think there is more implications for us here. The point that seems to challenge me the most is this notion that faith is not just a personal endeavor, that it, it is about making Christian disciples in community and that our community is a reflection of the reign of God on earth. 
So our faith development is really more of a communal enterprise than it is a personal enterprise. It is in my relationship with you that I imitate, that, that you show and bring to this community that I am allowed to imitate. It's where I learn how to be a better Christian. We are woven together in this big, messy community of faith called the church, especially this one right here in Decatur called United Methodists. And we impact each other. And we help each other grow in our faith. Let's hope that we help each other grow more positively than negatively. This reminds me of an African concept called Ubuntu. I am because we are. You might have heard that saying before. There's a story of an anthropologist who is doing some work in one of the central uh, countries in Central Africa, and he decides to hide a basket of fruit and tell the village children that they should look for that basket of fruit, and whoever finds it can have and enjoy all the fruit in the basket. And when he tells them, you can go, they do an amazing thing. Rather than run off like they're chasing after Easter eggs, they hold hands, and they seek together. They look under things and around things, and they look up and they look low, until finally they find this basket of fruit, which has been hidden in the tall grass behind a tree. And then they delight, and they sit in a grand circle, and they pass the fruit around, and they share it equally, and laughing and enjoying the sweetness of its taste. So the anthropologist says to the children, why is it that you didn't chase after the basket? You could have had all that fruit for yourself. They laughed as if he had said something absurd to them. They said, Ubuntu. You see, how could any one of us be happy when any one of us is sad? We are interconnected like the elements of nature. One of us doesn't operate in isolation. We are formed in this sense of community that God has put us in because God has woven us together for profound ways to be a part of something that might be messy but also might be amazing and make a difference in our world. I learn from you and you learn from me and that's the way God created us. There's a serious accountability in that, friends. It's a little bit scary when we realize that we are not only accountable to each other, but we're responsible for each other's faith and growth. That we're responsible for making sure that we are the goodness indicator because of the company we keep inside these walls. I got to thinking about the intentional ways that we in this church create a worthy example in which we are to imitate and in which we teach our children to be a part of God's creation and salvation story. So I took a look at the front of our bulletin. It's right here every single week. I want you to look, look for it on the front of your bulletin near the bottom is our vision statement. Let's say this vision statement together. 
We are a people of grace, love, and hope who faithfully participate in a way of life that includes learning, growing, giving, and serving God. That is who we are. That is what we seek to be in this community. In my four and a half months among you, I have observed these things about learning and growing and giving and serving. I have learned that the way you learn is in small intentional groups. Some of you are in a Sunday school class. Others of you are in life groups or uh, Bible studies. Some of you pray together. Some of you share scripture passages every day with each other. Some of you um, are even a part of the care team that goes and takes care of all those we love and cannot be with us. If you want to be a part of any one of those small intentional learning groups, turn to someone in your pew. Most of us participate in those, and there's always room for more. When I look at the way that we grow together, I see that the way you grow best is by keeping presence with each other. There is nothing that helps us grow in our faith more rapidly or more sincerely than when we struggle with life and faith with one another. Whether it's through the death of a loved one, or the waywardness of a child that we're worried about, or an unfaithful spouse, or a story of addiction that has touched our lives, or a story of betrayal that has broken our hearts. Keeping presence with each other, with someone who is sad, is a sacred place. It's a sacred and holy place in which the two people sit in the very palm of God, And they grow in faith together. It's holy work, friends. And then I considered the way that you give. I read your prescriptions, your um, report, whenever you went through the Healthy Church Initiative, and you describe yourself as a generous church. I experience you as a generous church. Because generosity is a spiritual practice, my friends. It is a practice that is more than simply giving to the church budget. It changes our hearts. And when it changes our hearts, it also changes the heart of the community, the faith community, and the community beyond us as well. So I began to wonder, how are we setting the example for our children? I recall a story from my home church where a dad decided that he was concerned because he moved to starting to give online and that he would not be showing his children that you give when the plate is passed each week. So he began to throw a dollar in there. The funny story is that when his uh, daughter became about the teenage years, the early teenage years, she became concerned. She looked at her dad one day and she said, Dad, are we in financial trouble? And he said, why is that? She says, because you can only put a dollar in the offering plate. Friends, if you can only put a dollar in the offering plate and that is sacrificial for you, that is sufficient in God's eyes. 
But there is more to it than that. It changes our hearts. How is it that we are teaching our children to give the first fruits to God? Because, not because God needs the money, but because it is an act that changes our heart and this community's heart. I want you to look for the opportunities to give. There's opportunities to give online. There's opportunities to give on your bulletin with this little, this little symbol down here on your iPhone. There's opportunities that will come out for you to give at the end of the year in celebration and recognition of a very holiest season of the year during Advent. There will be opportunities for you to give that will come out in The Voice and our weekly emails. You can give by writing a check or even putting a dollar in the offering plate. These gifts will change our hearts. And then I consider the way that we serve in this community. Because you cannot serve alone. Have you ever noticed that it's impossible to serve all by yourself? Because the very nature of serving is to do it with another person. And so we gather once a month out on the parking lot and we serve our neighbors by packing food in their baskets. But when we serve, we stand side by side with each other. And when I serve with you, that's when I see Jesus in your eyes. That's when I see Jesus in your face. And that's when our neighbors see Jesus in us as well. Together we grow and we learn as we willingly participate in God's reign through our service. Friends, there is work for us to do, but it's not busy work. It is a life-forming, life-transforming, life-giving, and life-meaning through our work together. It's going to take all of us, all of us to stay focused on what God has called us to do, It is going to take all of us to remain committed for the long haul because it doesn't happen overnight. It will take you and me working together in an act of growing and learning and giving and serving. It will take you and me together so that we don't become weary in doing what is right in God's world. May it be so. Amen.